Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. I'm standing up here tonight by the grace of God, really, in my life. Without his love and grace and patience with me, I wouldn't be here. And uh, I consider it a real privilege to come and open God's word for you tonight. It's a privilege, it's an honour, it's also a responsibility, and I take it that way. I thank Pastor Peter um, for giving me the opportunity uh, to talk to you tonight. He could have given me a little bit more time. (laughs) He only called me on Thursday. I get this message at school, text from Tika going, because I don't often have my phone on, and, and please call me when you're free. And I'm thinking, oh, flip, what's happened? And so I call Tika, and he goes, oh, Pastor Peter wants to talk to you. Comes on the line, hi, would you like to preach? I went, yes. And he goes, oh, cool, Sunday night? <laughs> I was like, yes. So what I'm going to share with you tonight is really what's on top for me. Um, I love God's Word. I love studying God's Word. I love discovering new things in God's Word. And so it's just really like what I've been studying the last wee while is all around Christmas. And um, did you know Christmas is only 29 sleeps away? 29! I love the trees. I love the lights. I love the decorations. I love the food. I love the presents. I love the carols. Deck the halls with boughs of holly. You're good. Um, raise your hand if you have, or maybe you are, the member of your family that is the Christmas fanatic. Got any in the house? Or oh, they're going like this. Be proud. Raise them up. My mum is a Christmas fanatic. She loves Christmas. Every year in the middle of November, she decorates her house. It takes three days. And um, she just decorates and decorates and decorates. I've got a couple of photos for you. Hopefully they'll come up on screen. That's the Christmas um, cabinet. You've got the angel shelf, the shepherd shelf, the wise man's shelf, the assorted decoration shelf. Um, next photo. That's the tree. Oh my lord, not an inch of space on that anywhere. It's a crime in our house to have any green showing. It's got to be completely covered. In fact, it's a bit of a joke in our house that um, my dad, my poor dad, <clears throat> for these two or three days, he just follows mum around with blue tack and command hooks and says, where, where, where do you want me to, where, where? In fact, he's given up and he just leaves the command hooks up all year. He doesn't even bother taking them down anymore. And it's a bit of a joke in our family that, that um, if you sit down for too long when you go and visit them, you'll end up with a piece of tinsel put on you. She decorates the bed head, everything. Everything gets decorated. She loves it. Well, we're not even in December yet, but I figured it's time to start getting in a bit of a festive spirit. So could my two lovely assistants please bring out, I've decided to decorate for you, get you started. Thanks, ladies. The thing I love most about Christmas, though, 
it's not the tree. It's not the light. It's not the food. It's the story. It's the narrative around Christmas that I love. And when we've got this nativity set here, you can look at all the characters and you can look at Mary and, oh, Mary, Mary, lovely Mary, Mary. (laughs) And the wise men, debatable whether there were three. We don't know. There were three gifts. We assume there were three. Maybe there were 11 and they all went five bucks each in on the gifts. I don't know. (laughs) Shepherd, the sheep, the animals. But there's one overlooked character, I believe, in the nativity. And it's this guy. Joseph. He barely gets a mention in any carols. I've searched. I looked. (laughs) I found one carol written about, just about him. The words were pretty good. The music was naff. (laughs) And then the only other one I could find was, um, now Joseph and his wife Mary went to bed, right? That night. Oh, you're all into festivals. Okay, cool. So... I just think, like, poor Joseph, one of the most overlooked characters in the whole narrative. I mean, we don't sing, you know, round yon virgin, mother, father, and child, do we? (laughs) Oh, I should have said father, mother. Can we delete that off the audio? Pastor Peter's going to fire me now. You know, in my head, I thought, Shelley, don't do that. Don't get it around the wrong way. And I did. But where does Joseph fit? Where does does he fit in the story? Because I think sometimes we treat him like a side character. Like he's just there by Mary, just standing there. But actually, he's far more important than you think. So what I want to do tonight is take you on a bit of a journey into the Bible. We're going to look at four verses. And I want you to get a new picture for this man. I want you to get a new understanding of his importance in the whole Christmas narrative. And let's see what we might be able to learn from this overlooked character. So for tonight, Joseph, listening, you're going to go in the front. Boom. Right. Before we do that, can we pray? Is that all right? Father, I just pray for everyone here tonight, God, that you would just give them open ears to listen, a soft heart. And I've prayed for them, God, and now I pray for me. Help me. Amen. All right, so you ready? We're going to go. We're going to dive in. We're going to dig in. Now, we're in Matthew 1. If you want to turn your Bibles up to there, beginning of the New Testament, easy, Matthew chapter 1. So any good story has a setup. Any good story has a setup. And the setup in this story is the genealogy. If you look at the beginning of chapter one, there's a big genealogy there. The father of, uh, was the father of, uh, was the father of, uh, and on and on it goes. Some great names there, by the way, Kelly and Reese, if you want to, you know. Yep. Um, and then we get to verse 16. If you can find Matthew 1. 
verse 16. I want you to understand this, that Matthew was a Jew and he, was, he wrote this book to the Jews. This book, everything about this gospel is to prove to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So everything he does, every story he writes, every phrase he uses is to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised and the prophesied Messiah. And people's family lines in Jewish culture were really important to them. Like, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy's daddy? Who's your daddy's daddy's daddy daddy? Right? They wanted to know that. Who are you related to? Where do you fit in the family? And, and so we get to this bit, and Matthew starts with this massive genealogy. And you can trace it right from verse 2 for Abraham, verse 6, David, King David, that is. And then you get to verse 16. It's going to come up on the screen, hopefully. Verse 16 says this, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. And Jacob, the father of Joseph. Real interesting phrase. He doesn't call him the dad of Jesus, the father of Jesus. He calls him the husband of of Mary. Really interesting. Matthew's been really particular here about the language he uses. And then he gets even more precise and more accurate. I'm going to take you deep into the world of Greek. Are you ready? All right, here we go. So Jacob, the father of Joseph, of whom was born Jesus. Now, that little word, whom, You might think, ah, it's just a little word. In English it is, but in Greek it's not. In Greek, it's what's called feminine singular, which means that the birth of Jesus had nothing to do with Joseph. Not a thing. The conception of Jesus, nothing to do with Joseph. He was the husband of Mary, but it was Mary that Jesus came through. How particular Matthew is about the words he chooses to use. And what I love about this is that it's not even Mary's genealogy. It's Joseph's. Mary's comes later on in Luke. This is Joseph's genealogy. And he's not even related by blood to Jesus. Turn to the person next to you and say, maybe there's more to Joseph than you think. So, that's the setup. Here we are, the genealogy. We've got Joseph, father, sorry, husband of Mary, all comes through Mary. Then you've got in the story, you've got the problem. There's always a problem in a story. If there's not a problem in a story, then you start to fall asleep in the story because there needs to be a problem. Verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, stop. We we don't really understand pledged. In another translation, it says betrothed. Okay? It's like being engaged, but in the Jewish culture, to be betrothed was like a legal um, agreement that you made with the other person. You would go to the synagogue. Your names would be written, you know, Joseph and Mary, betrothed. And in the betrothal, you would stay betrothed for one year. In the community, you were seen as husband and wife. 
You were called husband and wife, but you did not live together. And you didn't do any of the other things that husbands and wives do, if you know what I mean. All right? And so Joseph and Mary were betrothed. All right? They were pledged to be married. So I want you to imagine Joseph is working away in his carpentry shop, and, and he's just, oh, he just loves Mary. Mary, she's amazing. I love that woman. She is just so, oh, she loves God so much. Just, oh, probably cut himself losing concentration or something, I don't know. But he's in the shop and he's thinking about her and he's like, oh, I, I, just, I, I, just, I just love Mary. I just love her. And then you get to the second half of verse 18. But before they came together, we all know what that means, right? She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Oh my God. And good old Matthew, as men tend to do, um, doesn't give us a lot more detail than that. And I was reading it going, Matthew, dude, come on, some more detail, please. You know, but no, he doesn't. What you need to understand is that over in Luke 1, right at this moment, Mary's getting a visit from Gabriel. And Gabriel's coming to Mary and saying to Mary, Mary, you're going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit. You're going to carry the Messiah. And also, your cousin Elizabeth, who's been barren, the worst thing ever for a Jewish woman, your cousin Elizabeth's going to get pregnant, is, is pregnant right now also. Nothing's impossible for God. And then, angel's gone. And Mary accepts the word but right at that moment, if you go over and read it in Luke, it says immediately she got up and she went to Elizabeth in the next village over. And she's gone for three months. Now here's my question. Did she tell Joseph before she left? Did she? Would she? Would you? An angel came and visited you and told you you're going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Your cousin's pregnant. See ya. What would you do? I don't think she did tell him. I think to wrap her head around the miraculous thing that was now going on inside her body, I think she thought, Elizabeth's pregnant, right? I, she must know something about this. I'm going to go and see her. Maybe Elizabeth can help me kind of wrap my head around this and figure things out. So she goes to Elizabeth for three months. I don't even know if she said goodbye to Joseph. Poor Joseph. 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 Poor Joseph. Suddenly his betrothed disappears for three months and, and he doesn't know anything. And all that happens, bless you Matthew, in between verse 18 and 19. He just doesn't tell us. After three months, she comes back. Somewhere between verse 18 and 19, she tells him. You know, there's, <laughs> there's sometimes where you just have those awkward conversations with people. <clears throat> I, I was doing some relief teaching a few years ago, and I was relieving in a year two, three class, and there was a wee boy in there called Eddie. Cute as. Didn't know him particularly well. But he came up to me one day in class, and he goes, just out of nowhere, and he goes, Mrs. T., Sometimes I like to vomit. And I just went, 
okay. And before I could really say anything else, he went, and I just have over there. So call it code, chunky yellow. Mm. But you know what? I think, picture this if you will. Mary comes back after three months away. She comes and finds Joseph. They embrace. He feels a, a wee bump in her belly. And as their heads are together, she whispers in his ear, Joseph, I'm pregnant. You can hear him going, <gasps> and then the second part of a double barreled and it's by the Holy Spirit. <gasps> That's the problem. We've got the setup. We've got the problem. Now, the climax of the story. I want you to put yourself in Joseph's shoes right now. The woman you love, the woman that is betrothed to marry you, that in that betrothal has promised to be honourable, you promised each other to honour each other. The woman that you love has now come and told you that she is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. How would you feel? Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. I don't think we do this enough when we look at the Bible. We forget that these are real people with real emotions and real feelings and we treat them like they're just plastic figurines. So tell me, you tell me, I'm asking you to talk to me right now. How do you think he felt? Give me some words. Angry? Betrayed? Confused? Heartbroken? Great word. Devastated? All of those things. And probably more. I think he probably went, oh man, what the heck do I do now? What the heck do I do now? Come on, man. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. Whatever. It's too much. It's too much to wrap my head around. Have a look at verse um, 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful, was a righteous man, and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. To be righteous here means integrity. It means to be just. And in, in Mosaic law, if you got pregnant outside of marriage, the punishment for that was that you would be stoned to death. Stoned to death. That was an option that Joseph had. He could have publicly said, this woman is pregnant, not by me. She deserves the full weight of the law and to be stoned to death. But he didn't. He chose not to do that. He took justice to a whole new level. See, justice can be, can be payback. You hurt me, I hurt you. Justice can be fairness. You pay taxes, I pay taxes. That's fair, right? But he took justice to a whole new level. He mixed justice with compassion. He actually, by doing what he was, by planning to do what he was going to do and just divorce her quietly, because to break a betrothal was to divorce. 
That's how serious it was. To do that, he was actually breaking Mosaic law. Pretty bold, eh? This guy, he's more than just a figurine. And what I really want you to understand, so bold, that without Joseph doing that and making that decision to act in that just manner, Jesus would not have been born. He would have been killed. Jesus would not have been born. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, you know I'm going really slow through these verses, but there's just such rich stuff in here, man. All right? But after he had considered this. Now that word considered means two things in in the Greek. It means, it has the root word thymos, and it means pondered. We get that, considered. We can understand that. But it also means fury, rage, and anger. It's the same root word that's used when The wise men don't come back through Herod to tell him where the king is. The same word is used about Herod, how he was furious. Same word, thymos, used. So Joseph, I think sometimes we look at him and we just go, he was so placid, bit of a wuss probably, just stood there, just took it all. But no, when he was considering it, he was angry. He was frustrated. He was enraged. How could she do this to me? I trusted her. Who the heck she been sleeping with? Can you understand? He's real. And when he's like that, I can really identify with him. You know, when someone hurts me, I can really go, man, identify when I feel angry. All of those things. A little bit different to how we traditionally see Joseph, eh? So let's keep reading. Verse 20. But after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we're nearly there. We've done the setup. We've done the problem. We've got to the climax of the matter. And now the resolution. Yay. Verse 24. I, I love this verse. I love this verse because it speaks to his character. When Joseph, oh, and I I want you to notice in this verse the three verbs in in the word. I've underlined them in my Bible. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. He woke from his dream as quick as this. He woke from his dream, he did as he was told, and he took Mary as his wife. That would mean they go down to the synagogue and they say to the rabbi, Rabbi, you need to marry us now. We can't really explain why, but you need to marry us now. 
So the rabbi, okay, written in the book, Joseph and Mary married. But he had no union with her. He did not touch her. Imagine, I'm just, imagine how hard it is when you love someone like that to not touch them. It's tough. And what I love about Joseph is he refused, he refused to follow his own logic. This doesn't make sense, man. Holy Spirit conception doesn't make sense. But he refused to follow his own logic. And instead, he chose to believe the message from the angel. That's faith. That's faith in action. I mean, he doesn't faff about. As soon as he wakes up from the dream, he's out. Right, let's do it. Mary, let's get married. Angel told me, I believe it. Let's do it. How awesome. And what I love, what I love again about this guy is he stood by Mary from that day on. He gave her his name. He gave her his protection. He stood by her. That's loyalty, faith and loyalty. And through this whole situation, Joseph was able to reprocess his anger into grace. Even more than that, for the rest of his life, for the rest of Joseph's life, he had to deal with wagging tongues. They got married too early. You know, she had the baby do the maths. The baby came a bit earlier than it should have. He needed to be there for Mary for that. And he has to deal with those remarks about her, and she's guilty of none of it. See, here's the thing. If you obey what the Lord tells you to do, which is what he did, it's not the promise of an uncomplicated life. We need to get that out of our thinking. Joseph's obedience meant his life became instantly complicated. He was no longer just a simple, solo carpenter. Now he's responsible for his wife, who's miraculously carrying the Messiah. And this man, this man, he adjusted his whole life plan. Everything he thought he was going to be doing, he adjusted to make sure that Mary was protected and the child was protected. That's courage. That's courage. So, Joseph, more than just a figure, he is not just a guy who stood by Mary with an angelic look on his face, an adoring look going, oh, Mary, oh, Jesus. No, he's far more than that. Are you getting it? Are you with me? He is an incredible man. He is a man often overlooked, but I think there's tons that we can learn from this guy. Tons. He's a real person, found himself in a really challenging situation. That conversation they had, that's never going to happen again. That was a one-off. No one else is going to be able to go to anyone else and say, whoa, I'm pregnant, Holy Spirit did it. No. He had to deal with that. He was the one. I love this guy. I love his obedience. I love his character. And the thing that just 
Here's the thing that obedience does. When you do what God says, you unlock your destiny. But you unlock everyone else around you as well. Everyone that you're connected to, you unlock their destiny when you do what God asks you to do, no matter how freaky it is, no matter how challenging it is, you unlock that destiny. At e-group, we've been doing a little Christmas thing along the way, and we did this page at e-group on Tuesday night. This was the things that after looking at Joseph, we we realized and recognized in him. He was bold, he was patient, brave, faithful, protector. He showed integrity, he was daring, he was loyal, he was wise, he was a man after God's own heart, he was courageous, gentle, steadfast, compassionate, trusting, loving father. He listened, he was human, he was real. Because the danger is that we either treat him like a figurine or we hold him up like a saint. Because that's a bit of a daunting list, isn't it? I mean, fellas out there, that's a daunting list for any fella. Single ladies out there, you want a Joseph. You want to look for the Joseph. He's a dude. He is a dude. You get what I mean. So don't put him on a pedestal. Don't make him a saint. But don't leave him as the plastic figure in the nativity either. It's his humanity and his authenticity that keep him within our reach, right? And relatable. And it's his faith and character that inspire us to maybe do things a little bit differently in our own lives. So, let's wrap this up, eh? Let's bring it real close and personal. At school, um, the kids in my class, when I have to have a chat with them about something, I, um, I call it Mrs. Tea Time. And they come and they sit in my office. And I don't stand above them and talk down at them. I get down to their level face-to-face, eye-to-eye. And that's kind of what I want to do with you guys tonight. This man, this man inspires me. His life inspires me. His choices, his decisions inspire me. And I want to just encourage you and challenge you maybe a little bit too. So you're up for some Mrs. Tea time? Maybe some of you here are in the setup phase. You don't actually know if you belong in the family yet. You don't know if you're in the genealogy of God. But I want to tell you this. God desperately wants you in his family. God desperately wants to have you in his family line. He wants to adopt you into his family so that you are his son and daughter, and you can be written down in his genealogy. So I want everyone to close their eyes. If that's you tonight, if you know that, yeah, I need some of what Joseph had, what Joseph had was God in his life. 
if that's you, just raise your hand and I'll see it. If tonight you want to become part of God's family, just raise your hand right now. Maybe you were in God's family, but you chose to wander off, do your own thing, and you want to come back because you know that you're missing the Father's love. That's you, just raise your hand. everybody. Father God, I confess to you that I have sinned and ask you to forgive me for all my sins. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son, that he died on the cross and that he rose from the grave. I receive you today as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Holy Spirit, I ask that you fill me, come teach me, guide me, and help me live for God. In Jesus' name, amen. Just give those people a round of applause. That's awesome. Best decision you'll ever make in your whole entire life. And welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. So, if you're not in the setup, hands up if you've got a perfect life, nothing going wrong, everything's going well. I'm glad no one put their hand up because I'd have to go, liar, pants on fire. We've all got stuff going on, eh? So maybe you're in the problem phase. Some wrench has come out of left field out of nowhere and hit you between the eyeballs in your life. And you're reeling and you're confused and you feel forgotten and overlooked. Just like Joseph. I want to tell you right now, God sees you. You are not forgotten. You are not overlooked. Who told you? that no one cares about you. Who told you that? It's a lie. Not only does God see you, but you're in a church family who wants to walk with you through the problem. So if that's you, in a minute, I'm going to ask you to come down. Will you allow other people to walk with you through the problem? Will you allow yourself to trust God in it even though the problem seems like crazy big or maybe you've done the problem you're in the climax part of the story in your life just like Joseph you're facing a tough life altering decision right now something's happened you've got to 
You've got to make a decision about what you're going to do. And you've considered it. You might have even got a bit angry. How come this is happening to me? It's all right. God can handle it. But after you've considered it, you know that God is asking you to take a step of faith. I want to say to you, go there. Go where God is directing you. Because your obedience will unlock your destiny and the destiny of the people around you. I want to tell you a story. In 1992, a few decades ago, um, in 1992, I, I got a really clear direction from God. For him, he, he wanted me to go and live and work in Fiji. Now, a lot of people that I spoke to at the time who I told about this really clear direction in my life said, you are mental. What are you doing? You've just finished teacher's college. Go and work for a couple of years. Get registered. Then go overseas. But you know what? I had, I, I, I knew. And God actually called me in a dream, just like Joseph. It wasn't Gabriel, though. I didn't get the head honcho. I just got, I just got dreams. But God called me. And one day I'll tell you the whole story maybe, but I ended up moving to Fiji. And do you know what? That, I got there three days before my 22nd birthday. And that move to Fiji, I didn't know it, but my obedience to God's call in my life unlocked my destiny. I met that man. <laughs> I fell in love. I wasn't even going there to look for anyone. In fact, when I went there, I said to God, God, I'm done with boyfriends. I'm sick and tired of all that rubbish. I'm just not even. And then there he was. I fell in love. We got married. And our life together, you know, it's a bit of a standing joke for us really that if I had dug my toes and I said, no, I'm not going to Fiji, I'm going to stick here, I'm going to go for a teaching job. I'd be married to Colin, the dairy farmer in Timaru with eight kids or something. No offence to any Collins, dairy farmers, anyone that's come from Timaru or anyone with eight kids. All right? But my life would be vastly different had I not been obedient at that moment. And I believe my obedience not only unlocked my destiny, but Tico's destiny, my children's destiny. Do you get it? So maybe that's you. Maybe you're at that place in the story where you've got that decision to make. And you need to take a step of faith. In a minute, when I give you the shit, get up out of your seat and come down here. Take that step. Unlock your destiny. Or maybe you're in the resolution phase. You've done the problem. You've stepped out in faith. But as you stand in the, in the backwash of your situation, things are getting a bit wobbly and you're wondering if you can actually stand. You might need just an injection of God's faith tonight, an injection of His strength in the situation that you're in. I reckon Joseph went back again and again to that word he had from the angel and said, tell me again, God, 
Tell me again that it's the Messiah. Tell me again that I have a part to play in this story. Tell me again, because I need to hear it. Because people are being mean to us and people are saying things that aren't true. And I need to hear your truth so that I can stand. So that I can do what you've called me to do with this woman. To stand beside her, to raise this child, your son. Blow my mind, God. Give me strength so that I can do what you've asked me to do. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's where you are. You need strength. You need an injection of the Holy Spirit in you tonight to stand. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.